What's up, y'all? We are back with our weekly Monday episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. Today, we've got a little recap of this weekend in NFL and college football. Also going to talk a little bit about the NBA preseason and MLB offseason, including some talk about the worst contracts in sports history. Episode 26 coming at you right now. for tuning in once again. I'm Landon Pangburn along with my brother and co-host Preston Pangburn. We're back with another episode of the Shoot Your Shot Sports Podcast. So just a heads up, this weekend we had little sis and mom in town. So we were kind of going around Atlanta doing some things. And last night we went to a brewery, a new brewery that is that was started by a friend that I that I know, a guy I know. His name is Sam Casmer. Started Elsewhere Brewing six weeks ago. It's pretty legit. And I have a membership there for a year. And so I get a six pack of beer every month. And so we've actually got a couple of beers to try here right now for the first time. A little like, I don't even know, it's not an unboxing, but a little preview taste test. Here we go. What you got there, P? Yeah, so I've got the Rosé Hazy IPA, and what do you, you have the, uh, I have the Red Velvet Cake? Red Velvet Cake Stout. So yeah, I'm a little bit nervous about trying this because stout is not normally my thing. With chunks of real Red Velvet Cake? We'll see. I don't know. The, the thing I'm most nervous about is that it's a 16-ouncer and it's 8% alcohol, and I don't drink very much, so I'm, I might be hammered by the time this is over. Yeah, I might have to finish this episode on my own. Yeah, if this episode goes off the rails towards the end, you know why. All right, you're giving yours a shot. What you think? Really good. Um, notes of um, very floral, floral notes. Good mouthfeel, chocolatey aftertaste. This is, not, this is not wine. Oh, are those wine reviews? Yeah, those are wine reviews. Well, it's rosé. Yeah, but that's not how you talk about wine. Okay. This, you will beer. This red velvet, velvet cake one is legit, though. It tastes like red velvet cake. This is sick. So I'm all about this place. Anyways, if you're an Atlanta person, which I think a lot of our listeners right now are Atlanta people, check out Elsewhere Brewing. It's legit. Over in Grant Park. Good stuff. Good food, too. It was delicious food. All right. Well, let's get into sports. I want to talk about how we normally start off these days talking about the guillotine league. So I was in some serious trouble as of last night in the final four. It was looking like I was the favorite to go home, even though I'm I'm going to put up like 140 something points. Uh, but I got a good boost from Mike Tomlin in the night game. So he benched Deontay Johnson, who Mitch started over AJ Brown tragically. Mm, that's tough. And he dropped a couple balls early and got benched along with his boy, Eric Ebron. So happy for Mike Tomlin. I did not pay him off here, but he, he really worked for me there. Yeah, that's huge. Mitch, to be honest, has had the worst team in the league for the last eight weeks. It is a miracle that he's still alive. It's time for Mitch to go. Sorry, Mitch. Love you man go home (laughs) well he's still got a good shot I mean well not a good shot but decent he needs Justin Tucker to outscore Mark Andrews by 7.2 or more which is definitely possible just needs a couple you know 50 plus yards field goals so they just need to get him in position because Justin Tucker your boy is automatic I had a very stress-free weekend as it relates to fantasy football. I was under no threat of elimination at any point during the weekend, so I'm just kind of cruising along. <laughs> are you only in that one league? Or you yes. were? Yes. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stress for me is through the roof right now, and I hate that it aligns with Christmas 
this time because I just kind of am a recluse watching football games the day after Christmas. But anyway, we'll uh, we'll talk more about that later. But you want to get into a recap of this NFL weekend? Let's do it. You got anything to talk about first? Yeah, so I want to talk about Saints versus Eagles. A couple new quarterbacks, your boy Taysom Hill against the Eagles, a new starter, Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 1-0, the era with the Eagles. What do you think? Yeah, both quarterbacks had good but not great games, I would say. The Eagles kind of relied on their supporting cast more so than Jalen Hurts, but he didn't have a bad game. And it's what I said before, I think given their current situation with a lack of weapons on the outside and a not very good offensive line, Jalen Hurts is probably their best solution for the rest of the year, and I think that showed in this game. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, the the main thing I was surprised about watching this game is how they used him. I mean, he threw for 167 yards. He ran the ball 18 times. Yeah. 106 rush yards, which is pretty good. I mean, they're using him more like a Taysom Hill. I thought he was going to be, you know, more of a pocket quarterback who is mobile and runs when he has to, but they were using him in some, you know, designed power runs. Yeah, he's a different kind of runner. He's more of a Taysom Hill runner than a Lamar Jackson runner as far as he's got a little bit of speed, but he's not that fast. He's <laughs> yeah, just, not, not everyone runs a 3-9. Yeah, exactly. He's just so strong. I mean, that's been the talk about him since day one when he got to Alabama when he was in college is he could squat like 600 pounds the day he showed up on campus in Tuscaloosa. He's an absolute machine. He's a house. Like that dude is strong. He's not easy to tackle. As long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be a weapon with his feet. Yeah, so that was a huge win for them to kind of keep pace with the Washington football team who is in first place at 6-7. and seven. So the Eagles really need to win out if they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to try and do it on the back of Jalen Hurts. So Lando, to close out the segment on the Eagles, I got a quick question for you about Carson Wentz. What you got? On over, under... One half more game that Carson Wentz starts for the Eagles. Over. I just think he has to, given the contract situation. I think if he had less of a less of an issue with his contract, they would get rid of him right now just because he looks broken this year. But it's just too much money, too much dead space in their salary cap to get rid of him. Yeah, and it's completely dependent on how Jalen Hurts looks the rest of the year because if they went out, I mean, it's Jalen Hurts' team now. So I'm actually going under. Unless Jalen Hurts gets hurt, I think it's his team now. Okay, that's a very interesting take. Hot take there. Uh, maybe. <laughs> we'll see. All right. Well, the flip side of that coin is the Saints. Tough one for them. They said during this week that they were not going to rush Drew Brees back from his 80,000 broken ribs. They were going to stick with Taysom Hill. Um, but I'm wondering if that tune might start to change a little bit. They lost this game to, you know, like we said, Jalen Hurts starting his first career game ever. Did not look great at all offensively. They need some more firepower there. Get Alvin Kamara back involved. What do you think? Do you think Drew Brees starts to come back? I think you're being overreaction guy hardcore right now. You think so? Yeah, it's hardcore. They're ten and three. The Bucks are in second place in that division to eight and five. They've got a two game lead with three games to go. I don't think they care at all about these last three games of the regular season. They, they don't want the one seed. I think they'd much rather wait and have a fully healthy Drew Brees than rush him back and risk his health for the playoffs. I don't think they care as much about the one seed as they do about Drew Brees being healthy in the playoffs. Well, you're not going to rush him back, but it's like. If they had the luxury of sitting him out one extra week, that's fine. But at this point, they have fallen behind the Packers for the one seed, and they need that. Like we said, I mean, those are two of the biggest home field advantages in all of the NFL, Lambeau Field and the Superdome. I mean, they would much rather play the Packers at home than have to travel to Lambeau. So I don't know. I think Drew Brees comes back this week. Do you really? Do you know who they play this week? Who do they play? The Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a crazy <laughs> game. That's really tough. I, I personally think that they're going to be fine taking the two seed and just rolling through. I think they can win on the road, especially with no crowd this this season in the playoffs. Like I think they're going to be fine. I think they just want Drew Brees healthy for the playoffs, and that's it. 
All right, well, either way, Taysom Hill or Drew Brees. The Saints, I don't think, are any longer the favorite in the NFC. At this point, I feel like it's got to be the Packers. I mean, they're putting it together at the right time here down the stretch, beat the Lions, kind of held on in the fourth quarter there after building a big lead. Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers continue to be the by far best connection wide receiver quarterback in the NFL. I mean, what do you think about the pack? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are pretty good. I think they're probably right behind Mitchell Trubisky and Allen Robinson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, Trubisky's revived, man. Trubisky is feeling right now. But yeah, they're a really good team. I still think the NFC is completely up for grabs. I think the AFC, on the other hand, like there's a couple teams that have separated themselves as clearly the best teams, like the Chiefs and the Bills and the Titans and Steelers. I think four teams that are kind of far and away the best teams. I wouldn't be surprised if any of the seven teams that ultimately make the NFC win it. I just think every team is vulnerable in the NFC. Anything could happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying the Packers are a heavy favorite because the NFC is deep. There's a lot of parity this year, especially, you know, the NFC West just kind of keeps bouncing around with those three teams up there. But yeah, I don't know. There's got to be a favorite. So you, if you have to pick one right now, especially if the Packers are going to get home field at Lambeau throughout, I'm going with the Pack. And Rodgers, I mean, he's an MVP form. It's basically between him and Mahomes now. So I think Rodgers, given the the schedule in these last three games and the fact that they're all must win I think Rodgers are going to keep lighting it up and win MVP I like it I think I'm going to actually stick with the Saints for the favorite but they're neck and neck they're really close do we know what the Vegas odds are no I would love to see those okay well we'll look that up yeah I would guess that given the Drew Brees injury that the Packers are probably favored by a little bit just because they're more likely to have home field but what is it yeah, I've got it here now. So it's Packers plus 250, Saints plus 300. So pretty close. And then yeah. the Rams plus 400, Seahawks plus 550. So lumped in there pretty tight. Like we said, a lot of parity there. So the NFC is going to be a lot of fun, especially with three opening weekend games and only that one buy for the one seed. I was thinking about going Rams with my favorite just because I just feel like I love the way they're playing right now. They're on a roll. Their defense is incredible. Their defense is so good. Sean McVay has proven that he can make it happen in the playoffs offensively. So the Rams are going to be a team to be reckoned with as well. Yeah, and it's kind of weird how, I mean, their defense has been incredible with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, all those guys they've got up front, but their offense is kind of taking a new shape right now. Like, you know, their passing game with Jared Goff, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, but instead of this three-headed running back monster, they started to go with Cam Akers. He's had like 30 touch, thirty touches in each of the last two games. He's kind of stepped into this like Todd Gurley 2017 role. So you're kind of finally seeing why they wasted a second round pick on him. But I mean, they could be dangerous if he emerges as a Uh, as a really good back yeah he had 29 carries for 171 yards yesterday so that's a lot of workload but a lot of production too That'll play. So Rams, contender in the NFC. So moving over to the AFC, a couple contenders played last night in the Monday night football game, or the Sunday night football game, excuse me. The Buffalo Bills beat the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-15 to after the Steelers started off 11-0. I think we jinxed them, started talking about that 16-0 season, and now they've lost two straight. What you got on the Steelers? Yeah, I think the Steelers are going to be fine. I think at least I was kind of on this thought process all along the way that the Steelers were good, but they were not historically good. They were not a team that was good enough to be 16-0. I think they're kind of a prototypical 13-3 and team, right? Which is still really, really good. There's nothing wrong with that. So I think this is kind of what they are. That's fine. But also, I do think that they've had a couple of big defensive injuries that have really hurt them and are probably going to continue to hurt them because they think they had three starters go down with ACL injuries for the year. So that's kind of tough to replace those guys. On the other hand, the Bills, I've been on their bandwagon the entire year. They are a team to be reckoned with. You add uh, Stefan Diggs to a receiving core that needed a number one guy with Josh Allen as the quarterback. Like that's a dangerous, dangerous football team. Yeah. I'm, you ready for an overreaction? 
I guess so. I'm, I'm pretty much always ready for an overreaction when I'm talking to you about sports. So yes. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm, I'm out on the Steelers. Okay. They're done. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I know that they started 11-0 and that I was the one who started talking about them going 16-0, but seeing how they've looked the last couple of weeks and this whole thing now with Mike Tomlin benching a couple of his players trying to get a lesson across, like you guys need to snap into it, I think that there's a little bit of turmoil there. And beyond that, you mentioned the defensive injuries, specifically one of them is Bud Dupree, who was a good edge rusher for them, opposite of TJ Watt. That hurts a lot. Devin Bush. Devin Bush. I mean, just their front seven's been decimated a little bit, but I'm more concerned about their offense. I mean, they've become completely one-dimensional. They can't run the ball at all. James Conner had 10 carries for 18 yards last night. They've started mixing in Benny Snell a little bit to try to give him a spark, but just no run game. So it's all on Big Ben throwing the ball 40 to 50 times a game, and he just looks washed up. Yeah, I don't trust that at all. I don't think it's necessarily a a Big Ben problem. I think he's always been a guy that's been on on really good teams who've had multi dimensional attacks who can run in throw the ball and like you said without a running attack to balance it out he's not the kind of guy that can air it out 50 times a game and win a game for you right well you ready for another over under Steelers edition I would love that over under half of a playoff game the Steelers win this year over I feel pretty confident about that too under really yep wow is there some sort of wager we can make on this there's got to be so I'm trying to think so if we're assuming that the Chiefs now get um, the one seed, mm-hmm. the Steelers get the two. Who would they play? Who's most likely to be the seven as of right now? In the AFC, the seven seed. So it's currently the Dolphins at eight and five. Right behind them is the Ravens. They're seven and five. So they would tie them for that seven seed if okay. they beat the Browns tonight. And then the Raiders are seven and six. I mean, the Raiders are done. I'm still taking the Steelers, man. All right. Well, whether it's the Dolphins, God, Dolphins versus Steelers would be a three to nothing game. <laughs> uh, I mean, the Ravens could go in there and beat them, but I, I already declared the Ravens done too. So that would really be a predicament for me. Yeah, you're running, you're running out of AFC playoff teams. <laughs> oh, well, no, it, it's Chiefs or bust. I have this habit of like, if a team wins the Super Bowl or wins the conference, I just always think they're going to repeat. I know that it's like the hardest thing to do in sports to do that, but I just always think that and there's it, not going to be a changing of the guard. Has it happened in it. 20 years, but you're all all about it 100 percent. yeah it hasn't happened what do you mean it hasn't happened in 20 years it has happened in a long time a repeat super bowl champion the patriots didn't do it in the 20 years ago seriously yeah wasn't that tom brady yes exactly <laughs> that's insane yeah i guess <laughs> yeah. he is like 48 <laughs> wow okay well that that's a, a good testament there to the longevity and success of tom brady's career but i mean patrick mahomes is gonna do it man all right agree to disagree <laughs> so who are you taking are you taking the bills in the afc yeah i'm going with the bills in the afc that might be kind of a little bit out there given the fact that they still have a young quarterback i do love josh allen but i kind of like the teams with the more experienced quarterback but i'm rolling with the bills bills mafia all day i do like bills mafia but i'm not taking them to uh pass up the chiefs or pass the chiefs for now so we'll, we'll come up with some bet on that I'd, I'd give you some serious odds there okay next episode we got to write this down remember this we're going to come up with a, a chiefs versus bills bet or chiefs versus the field bet something like that Okay. I like how you just casually gave yourself the field there. That was a nice thing to sneak in there. I was trying to sneak it on you, but you you caught me and (laughs) now I regret it. Yeah, it didn't work at all. All right. Well, that's about all I got for the NFL, unless you have anything else before we move on. I do have something else. I want to talk briefly about the New York Jets. So they lost 40 to three this weekend to the Seahawks and they've got a chance to make some NFL history that I looked up. So I wanted to know what the worst single season point differential was in NFL history. It was the 1976 Tampa Bay Bucks who were an expansion team that year. It was their first year in the league. Their season point differential was minus 287. Pretty bad. 
Okay, quick math. How many games were in the season? 14? 14. They were in 14 at minus 287. So they lost by 20-something points a game. Yeah, it was pretty bad. So, yeah. <laughs> so, bad season. I would have guessed the 2008 Lions just because they went 0-16. So, so, yeah. The 2008 Lions were only like 6th or 8th on the list. I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> just just lost like 14 nail-biters? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, anyways, minus 287 were the Tampa Bay Bucks back in the day. Currently, through 13 games, the New York Jets this year are minus 210. So they've got to lose by a combined 78 points in the last three games to set the record for the worst team of all time. They have a chance to do it because their last three games are at the Rams, really tough game, home against the Browns, really tough game, and then at the Pats, who, depending on what they do the next two weeks, might be fighting for a playoff spot, maybe, very maybe. But anyways, they're going to be playing against three possible playoff teams, three motivated teams, and could get slaughtered in all three games. So they got a chance to do it. The Rams and Browns, I mean, those are two tough matchups, and those teams are both going to be very motivated, so they'll absolutely get killed in those two games. Exactly. God, those three defenses, I mean, how many points do the Jets score for the rest of the season? Over under 10. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> it's possible. I'm going even. I, <laughs> yeah. I just don't get how Adam Gase has a job. It just gets more and more absurd every week. But, I mean, they're on the road to Trevor Lawrence. Yes, they are. They they will definitely have Trevor Lawrence. And Trevor Lawrence is the truth. Trevor Lawrence has a chance to lead him back into the promised land. <laughs> no, he doesn't. They're way too far gone. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. I believe in you, Trevor Lawrence. They Don't they have, like, a ton of draft picks stockpiled in the next few years, too? I don't know. I mean, I guess, who did they trade? Because they talked about trading Quinn and Williams, who was like the number two overall pick a couple years ago this season. I just can't think of, I guess they traded Jamal Williams, so they've got an extra, or Jamal Adams, yeah. so they got an extra first there, but I just, I don't know. I don't know, they'll trade They're Sam screwed. Darnold. They'll get like a, a something similar to what the Cardinals got for Josh Rosen for Sam Darnold, which is like a second and a fifth. That's not bad. Like If they get a competent GM, it's as bad as they are and as good of draft picks as they're going to have, they got a chance to turn it around just like any other NFL team because there's a salary cap and everybody has the same amount of resources. I guess so. I mean, you really think someone's going to give up a second for Sam Darnold just yes. to turn around and pay him with all the uncertainty of what he is? I don't know. That That's tough. If they did it for Josh Rosen, I don't see why they wouldn't do it for Sam Darnold. Yeah. I, I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence, but just the way that they ruined Sam Darnold's career, I, I could see the same thing happening with T-Loff. He just doesn't have anybody around him. Well, that is a great transition into college football. Trevor Lawrence is a college football player. He so is. Let's, let's, go ahead and, let's go ahead and move along there. All uh, right. Well, my favorite game from this past weekend, not Florida. Not a question. Yes. Florida LSU. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> Florida lost to LSU. I think most people saw the the whole story behind this game. Florida got a untimely, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty when Marco Wilson, their linebacker, made a tackle and an LSU player's shoe fell off. So he picked it up and threw it about 80 yards down the field and was somewhat surprised when he got flagged for it yes, <laughs> for some reason. Somehow. But it ended up losing them the game. LSU went down and hit a field goal. What was it, like 57 yards? 57-yard bomb through the fog, too. It was kind of crazy the angle they had during the games because you could barely see the goalposts from the field because of all the fog. But yeah, you failed to mention the fact that the shoe toss was on third and 10 where they stopped them short of a first down. They were going to get the ball back with like a minute to go and a chance to win the game. So that's one of the worst penalties I can ever remember in any sport, is it not? Yeah, that's really bad. I mean, with a I mean, they were one week away from playing Bama to go to the playoff, and now their season is pretty much down the drain. Given the circumstances and the magnitude of the game, yes, probably the worst penalty I've ever seen in sports. They ruined their playoff chances because Homeboy chucked a 
cleat down the field like 20 yards. The only penalty I can think of that's worse than that, even though it was on a much lesser scale because of a lesser magnitude of the game, is a few years ago when Elijah Moore uh, crawled in the ground in the end zone and acted like he was pissing like a dog. <laughs> yeah, the, the <laughs> Ole Miss Mississippi State yes. game. Yes. Oh, that was good. I forgot about that <laughs> they one. They lost the game because of that. That was the only thing I can think of that is even on the same scale of of idiocy as this penalty. But yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. But at the same time, as a Georgia Bulldog, it was awesome. Yeah, and so the big winner here, in my mind, is Notre Dame. I mean, this just gives them a lot of flexibility playoff-wise. They can just look halfway decent against Clemson in the ACC championship and finish with one loss and get that four seed. Yeah, so one debate that we haven't talked about yet on this podcast that is now becoming more and more of a national debate is what you do with Ohio State. We had never really considered it, and I think we do need to consider it a little bit now, is Ohio State has played five games. They're 5-0. and Once they played the Big Ten Championship, which is against Northwestern, so not even like an exciting game, if they win it, which they will, they'll be 6-0. and Does a 6-0 and Ohio State deserve to go in above another team that is 8-1 and or so? Like, what do you do against for Ohio State, who's 6-1, and or sorry, 6-0, and versus Texas A&M, who goes 8-1 and with their only loss being to Bama? That's a really tough debate. It is a tough debate, but my answer is yes, I do think they get in. I mean, in a year like this with extenuating circumstances, it's not Ohio State's fault that they didn't get to play more games. And I think that the, the committee just falls back on what you hear all the time, and it's the eye test. And as much as they want to say that brand equity doesn't mean anything, that previous years don't mean anything, I'm just not buying it. I mean, they've got Justin Fields, who's about to be the number two overall pick at quarterback. They've got a team who was in the playoffs last year, went toe-to-toe with Clemson. I mean, I just I think that they will when it really comes down to it, not have the balls to leave Ohio State out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I I agree with you as far as what I think they're going to do. I think they will include Ohio State, but I can clearly see a very logical argument for Texas A&M and talking about brand equity, like that's a really big program too. It's not like they're throwing in some scrub. Like Texas A&M has some of the most resources and, and biggest backing of any team in college football. So that's another big deal too. I don't, I just don't know. Yeah, and, and one thing that dings Texas A&M a little bit is their best loss or their best win is Florida. So Florida losing to a stinky LSU team doesn't hurt their or doesn't help their cause at all. Yeah, and their loss being to Bama, I mean that's good, but they got smoked, right? They did get smoked. So are we still saying Bama? Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State? I think so. And then one more thing, if we're kind of debating Texas A&M, they would get the four seed, right? Yeah, we don't want to see Clemson, Notre Dame for the third time. Yeah, and Bama doesn't need to play A&M again. Yeah, I mean, exactly. we, we've seen it this year. Yeah, so I need, think that that hurts them too. Yeah, I agree. Two repeat, repeat games as the two college football playoff semifinals would suck. Yeah, exactly. Well, all right, let's move on to our next topic in college football, uh, the Auburn War Eagle Tigers. Yeah, the Eagle Tigers fired Gus Malzahn despite a $21 million buyout, which is a huge deal. I personally was under the impression that there was no chance they were going to do this, especially given the fact that he had that buyout, which is massive, and the loss of revenue that most college football programs have sustained this year due to COVID. I was like, they don't have the funds to, to afford that, to pay $21 million to a guy who's no longer employed by them, and then to fork up a bunch more money for a new coach. But they did it. Just goes to show you how desperate they were for a change of direction. He wasn't getting the job done, so I can't say I'm that that surprised. Just the financial reasons is what is what kind of got me. 
Right. I'm a little surprised by it too, but it's just weird because it feels like something that gets brought up every year. Like Gus Malzahn, one year gets a contract extension. The next year they talk about firing him and then they talk about firing him again and then he gets another extension. Like it's just been such a weird roller coaster at Auburn and his saving grace is that he's actually done pretty well against Nick Saban in Alabama. It's his other rivals, specifically Georgia and LSU that he hasn't done nearly as well against. But yeah, I mean, the $21.5 million buyout is a big indicator that Auburn takes their football pretty seriously and they're going to go all out for this next coach. So who are the candidates that you've kind of been seeing floating around there? Yeah, I think the first name that a lot of people think of, which is just kind of natural given his background, is Hugh Freeze, who used to be the coach at Ole Miss. Previous experience in the SEC. He's done a really, really good job this year at Liberty given the history of that program. I ultimately think that Auburn is going to opt away from the Hugh Freeze situation just given his background. I know everyone deserves a second chance, but it's a little bit early for Hugh Freeze's second chance in the SEC, I think, just given the seriousness of the allegations against him, or not really allegations anymore, the things that he did at Ole Miss that were illegal slash morally <laughs> reprehensive. <laughs> bankrupt. Yeah, morally bankrupt. <laughs> yes, yeah, so not great. So I think they're going to move away from that. Is there anyone that you kind of think of right away? I mean, I've seen Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon, floated around. I don't think that that makes sense. I mean, it, it, this is just such a big undertaking mm-hmm. with Nick Saban being at Bama for the foreseeable future. And I feel like he's got a kind of cushy setup at Oregon, like really good facilities and resources with Phil Knight's backing, you know, not a ton of pressure out there in the Pac-12. Like if you make the playoff, you're a god out there, right? Yeah. The Pac-12 just completely fallen off. So given the competition level and all that, I just, I think that Mario Cristobal has a good setup at Oregon and he's going to stay there. The most interesting name to me and perhaps the best hire realistically for Auburn is Steve Sarkeesian, mm-hmm. I think. That's he's possible. a guy who is currently the offensive coordinator for Saban at Alabama. He's bounced around a little bit, spent some time in the NFL with the Falcons, really strong offensive mind. So I think it would be really intriguing to see him kind of flip and go to the other side of the Iron Bowl and kind of set up a huge rivalry between Sark and Saban. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Going back to Mario Cristobal, I agree with you. I don't think that he would leave Oregon for Auburn. I think that's kind of a lateral move. And like you said, more pressure, more difficult situation as far as getting to the playoff. Being up in Oregon, being able to recruit that entire half of the country really with less competition is so much easier and and probably more fun than coming down here and battling with the SEC West every year. That's tough. Sark is a really, really good option for Auburn. My pick, who I think they're ultimately going to go with, is Billy Napier. I'm a Billy Napier guy. He's a really good coach, currently at Louisiana. Can't forget that from 2013 to 2016, he was the wide receivers coach at Alabama. So he's been there. He's recruited that part of the country. He knows that part of the country. He has he has connections to all the high school coaches around there. Like He's a really good fit for that Auburn job. And I think he spent some time at Florida and Clemson too, right? He was at Clemson from 2006 to 2010. And I don't know about Florida. I don't okay. think he was ever at Florida, but yeah, Clemson too. So he's been around. Okay, so that's a decent name. I mean, if you're an Auburn fan, probably not the most exciting, but sometimes the, you know, names that aren't the most exciting end up being the best hires. So something to keep an eye on, Nick Saban gets a new victim. Yes, he does. I just cannot wait for Nick Saban to retire. Gracious. <laughs> I know. I need it bad. All right. I think we're about done with college football. But one thing I do want to bring up because it's a big event this week that I always get excited about is this Wednesday is National Signing Day. So if you're a college football recruiting fan, don't forget to tune in. There'll be coverage all day on ESPNU. I normally just kind of check in on Twitter every once in a while, but a lot of big announcements from big recruits this uh, this current high school class. So it's going to see be interesting to see what happens. Go dogs. Hopefully we land some big fish. Yeah. So right now the standings I think our Alabama is number one in terms of recruiting classes, Ohio State two and UGA three. So kind of some big fish at the top as you'd expect. 
Yep. So we'll see what happens there. National Signing Day on Wednesday. All right. So you want to move on to Major League Baseball free agency? Let's do it. Well, there's not really a whole lot going on with Major League Baseball free agency right now. We've had a couple of little moves. Our hometown Braves got Charlie Morton and Drew Smiley for the rotation, which I like both of those moves to go along with the young guys we got. What do you think? I agree. I mean, Charlie Morton, he was a Cy Young candidate a couple years ago. I mean, didn't have the best 2020, but it was a shortened season. Some of these older guys struggled a little bit with the the, uh, lack of spring training. So hopefully he can be a blast from the past and pull it together and get the Braves over the hump. Yes, Andy has a lot of playoff experience, which is exactly what the Braves need. Just pitching depth, especially later on in the season and in the playoffs. So love Charlie Morton for that situation. And Drew Smiley, given the relatively small amount of money that we're giving him, I think is a really good signing. He's a guy that has long been thought to have really good talent and just hasn't always put it together. But I think he's going to be really good alongside the guys we currently have. I sure hope so. So go Braves. And then, you know, the other teams you keep seeing pop up everywhere is the White Sox, the Blue Jays, the Mets. They seem like they're ready to spend a lot of money, but all's kind of quiet so far. Not a whole lot has happened. Yeah, the White Sox added Adam Eaton, who's a really solid role player, but not a huge, huge name. The Royals got Carlos Santana. Just not a lot of big moves happening yet, but expect any day for some big moves to start happening. Right. And while we were talking about Major League Baseball free agency earlier, we were just kind of speculating some contracts that might happen this season and talking about contracts of the past that have now been proven to be pretty awful. So, Landa, you want to talk about some of these bad contracts of the past? Yeah. Baseball is historically notorious for having horrible, horrible contracts, largely because they are fully guaranteed, regardless of injury status, regardless of production. There's no incentive-based contracts. It's just you straight up get the money you signed for whenever it happens. And so there's some horrendous baseball contracts still out there. Kind of the reason I thought about this is because I was looking just through the teams and saw the Detroit Tigers, Miguel Cabrera's contract. Like, don't get me wrong. Miguel Cabrera is one of the best hitters of this generation. Guy was incredible, but he signed an eight-year, $248 million contract that runs through 2024. So right now, he is a subpar hitter for average and a subpar hitter for power. He can't do either. He can't play any position in the field at even an average level, and he is owed $100 million over the next four years. Your team is buried if you have that. Yeah. It's just over. You, <laughs> I mean, the Tigers cannot compete for the next four years with him on their team. I mean, good for him. He cashed in, and it's a classic example of a team kind of paying a fan favorite for past performance rather than, you know, what they're going to do in the future. So good for Miguel Cabrera. That's a huge deal. He signed that in 2016. 2016. It wasn't that long ago. He was already, he was already washed up. He was already fairly, <laughs> already fairly old. And they knew they were signing him through his whatever it is, like probably age 41 or 42 season. Like that's just not good. Yeah. So I was looking at this, they own 30 million this year and then 32 million each in 22 and 23. And then I saw after that, the, 8 million, right? So the team has two options okay. for $30 million each in 2024 and 2025. And what triggers those options is if he finishes in the top 10 in MVP voting. <laughs> that's just a cruel thing that Miguel Cabrera worked into there. Yikes, that's so savage. He, For the record, he's not going to finish anywhere close to the top of MVP voting. He is He's not good anymore, sadly. <laughs> not at all. Well, another one that was at the top of my list is a somewhat similar player, Chris Davis, first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles. Similar to Miguel Cabrera in the fact that he cashed in after you know, having an incredible year or two, not you know, even nearly the longevity and MVP caliber play that Miguel Cabrera had for the Tigers, but Chris Davis in 2016 signed for seven years, $161 million. And I was looking this up. There was a USA Today article talking about his contract. Did you see this? No, I didn't. (laughs) 
So their quote was, Davis is a microcosm of the Orioles organization. The first baseman signed a seven-year deal with Baltimore before the 2016 season, but his play deteriorated to the point where he's arguably the worst player in baseball. Oh, he is. Take it easy, USA Today. No, it's true. I, guy's I actually, got a family. No, I was going to say, you undersold this. He was actually, I was kind of, I was building up to this and you took it, but Chris Davis is my number one worst contract in sports history. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. He's, he's horrible. Oh, he, yeah, he, he's, he's bad. No, no, he's not bad. He's horrible. <laughs> he's the worst. He had, Do you work for USA Today? No, I don't. So Chris Davis in 2018 had statistically what most people consider to be the worst single season for any player in the history of a sport that's been played for 150 years. He was <laughs> atrocious. In 2018, okay, Chris Davis had 522 plate appearances. He hit 168 with a 243 on-base percentage and a 296 slugging percentage and struck out 192 times. That is the worst season anyone's ever had in the history of Major League Baseball. And just as a frame of reference, because this is one of those sports nerds things I like to do, I'm always intrigued by Tony Gwynn because he was like the best hitter I've ever seen in baseball. Never struck out, just incredible contact. So Chris Davis in in 2018 struck out 192 times. Tony Gwynn did not have his 192nd career strikeout until his seventh season in major league baseball wow yeah chris davis is bad tony Gwynn, awesome chris davis bad wow tony Gwynn, that's how you earn a 10 on base in mlb showdown yes it is <laughs> i hope i hope some of our listeners get that <laughs> if you don't get that you missed out in your childhood yeah because, shout out chubbs and poteet yes mlb showdown incredible did poteet play mlb showdown he did wow that's a tragedy we didn't know him back then well i actually don't know if he did back in the day or if he just played with us when we lived in bramblewood a few no years ago way. okay yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah there was a very very few the very, there are very few things that were better in our childhood than getting dropped off at the card shop on Saturday mornings and dropping 20 bucks for an MLB showdown tournament and then coming home with the cash yeah just, it was just like Pokemon for people who like sports and aren't nerds <laughs> yeah. yeah we were kind of the only two people who had never gotten to Pokemon which was probably more of a problem with us than them but, <laughs> but I don't know I guess so all right well moving on from Miguel Cabrera Chris Davis and Pokemon what other um <laughs> what other contracts do you have that are bad well one thing that kind of jumped out to me well first of all okay let's talk about NBA a little bit because NBA's had some bad contracts most of which were during the 2016 offseason which I'll get to in a minute because there was that huge spike in salary cap but one that was just so bad and I was reminded of the other day was Josh Smith signing for $54 million with the Pistons. Dude, Jay's move, that's a bargain. Oh, give me a break. So like, at the time, $54 million was a ton. Right now in the NBA, with, with how big the salary cap is, that doesn't sound like a lot anymore because we're so conditioned to these new contracts. But $54 million back then was a ton. He was just one of those guys that just never understood what he was good and what he was bad at. He just he couldn't wrap his head around it. I remember watching Josh Smith when he was on the Hawks, and if he made his first three of the game, you knew that the Hawks were in trouble because then he thought he could shoot and he'd just start jacking up threes even though he was a terrible shooter. And then I just was Terrible reminded, shooter? Wasn't he like 28% from three? That's not bad. That's better than 27. Up, so, so bad. But I was reminded of this the other day because the Pistons are still paying Josh Smith $5 million this year. No way. He stole money. Yeah. Oh, my so goodness. So he, he played three NBA games in 2018, didn't play at all in 2017. So he hasn't really played in the NBA for four years, and they still owe him $5 million this year. That's tough. <laughs> That's very bad. I'm trying to think, were you, I think we were together, there was some high school basketball game that we attended a while back, and Josh Smith was on the sideline, and people like started chanting for him, and he ran out on the court, and people were like asking him to dunk, so he went up for like a very lethargic, like half-assed dunk and missed it. <laughs> Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I think he was very, very stoned, but anyways, <laughs> a couple other bad contracts from the 2016 season. Chandler Parsons, yes. four years, $94.5 and, and he, how many 
many more games did he play? Like five? Very just few. Perennially hurt. Even if he wasn't, probably wasn't going to live off or live up to that. And then another one, Timothy Mozgov. Yeah, 64 million, right? Yeah, four years, 64. And like you said, that 2016 pop in the salary cap just provided so many guys with way better of a living than they should have had. And it reminds me of a tweet I saw a few weeks ago about... Uh, NBA free agency someone was like imagine if you're a star in the NFL like one of the better players in the NFL and you see that you make less money than like Jacob Podol (laughs) it's like that's what happens like basketball money and baseball money is insane I'm pretty sure his name is pronounced Jakob Podol Jakob Podol (laughs) yes it's p-o-e-t-l yes it's Jakob Pertl dude I know it is get out of here <laughs> yeah there's a lot of those contracts like you just mentioned a second ago that were signed the guy and then it gets hurt and so those are devastating the ones that come to mind for me I think were like 214 million dollars or something like that for Prince Fielder who then played like a hundred more games after that or something absurd yeah but did you see him on the cover of ESPN's The Body Issue well worth it <laughs> Yeah, that was well worth $214 million. Yeah. That one, like Jacoby Ellsbury, who I think was $153 million. I'm making these numbers up, so this could be fake news, but like $150 million for Jacoby Ellsbury, $214, I think, for Prince Fielder. One of the other ones was in basketball. Gilbert Arenas was like $111 million yeah. and then was hurt. There's yeah, a lot he was of hurt and then like pulling a gun on his own teammates in the locker room. Yes, not ideal. So he wasn't drinking Hennessy, was he? No, that was J.R. Smith. Uh, that was run our test that you said um, drink Hennessy at halftime of games. Well, actually, I just... And fight fans. We, had, we hadn't thought about this, but didn't Marshawn Lynch come out the other day, like last week, and say that he had a shot of Hennessy before every football game? Yes, which is awesome, especially knowing that he also ate Skittles on the sideline. Like, that's my guy. He's awesome. He also, every year for Thanksgiving, goes back to the hood and gives out turkeys. Yeah, he's the man. He's awesome. I love him. And one of the funniest hours of television that I've ever seen in my entire life is Marshawn Lynch in the wilderness with Bear Grylls. Bear Grylls, yeah. Yes. So good. What was that show called? Uh, so Running Wild with Bear yes, Grylls. Okay. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a great one. Marshawn's the man. Marshawn is dope. Okay, before we can move on, is his name really Jakob Pertle? It's Jakob Pertle, dude. <laughs> Do you think, is there any chance that he has a really cool basketball reference nickname? Pertle the Turtle? I, I already like that. If not, I'm going to send an email. I told you I emailed these guys back in the day. No. I didn't like, tell you that. They like responded asking to me. You to, asking you to put a nickname on there or asking the origin of them? No, I just texted or I emailed them saying, hey guys, just want to let you know, I love the nicknames. Like, keep it going. And they just responded like, thanks, man. I'll pass it along to the team. It's like, <laughs> let's go. Wow. Maybe they're like a little bit smaller than I thought. Anyways. Okay. So you can look up his name right here on Basketball Reference. Pronunciation is Jakob Pertle. So Y-A-K-U-B. And then Pertle, P-U-R-R-T-U-H-L. That's how you say it. And his nickname is Jake Puddle. Jake Puddle? Yeah. That's just stupid. <laughs> All right. Well, while we're on basketball, we've got one week till uh, the NBA starts on the 22nd. I cannot wait. It's going to be sick. Yeah. So we've got Warriors at Nets in Brooklyn. I'm a little disappointed that Clay Thompson's going to be out. That sucks. But the Warriors playing against their former guy, KD, and his new boy, Kyrie. How do you think that's going to go? Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I'm excited to see it. So one thing that has kind of stood out from the NBA preseason, and don't get me wrong, I don't care at all about the NBA preseason. There's only a few things that are meaningful whatsoever, and one of them is health. And so paying attention to the Nets the other day, did see that both KD and Kyrie looked healthy coming off injuries last season. I think I'm on record on this podcast. I might not be since he was out last season as saying that 
Kevin Durant is either first or second, probably tied for my least favorite professional athlete. I can't stand Kevin Durant, but I'm glad he's healthy. He's good for the game. I'm glad he's going to be back in the NBA this season. The Nets are going to be so intriguing to watch for a variety of reasons. <laughs> yeah, they are. KD trying to play with Kyrie after having to endure Russell Westbrook for all those years is just going to be really funny. It's a train wreck waiting to happen, but if KD can stay healthy, he might be my pick for MVP this year. So more on that next week with a full NBA preview. But before we get to that, one more thing I want to mention from the NBA this week is James Harden. He came out and said he was unmoved by the acquisition of John Wall, still wants to be traded. But now in addition to the Brooklyn Nets, he's also open to going to the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers. And who's the other one I'm forgetting? The Miami Heat. Miami Heat. I'm not sure what all these teams have to give up, but what do you think of James Harden? Yeah, this is just a disaster for the Rockets. A team that had such a good chance just a couple of years ago to win it all. They were, I will say this till the day I die, they were one Chris Paul hamstring injury away from winning the NBA Finals. They would have beaten the Warriors. They would have beaten whoever in the NBA Finals had he not gotten hurt. And now they are completely crumbling. I, I just don't know. I think he's still going to end up playing for the Rockets this year because I don't think they're going to trade him. I think other teams just have so much leverage knowing that he wants out that they're not going to give up enough for the Rockets to bite. And I also don't like the fits with these teams he wants to go to, right? Do you? I actually do like the fit with the Sixers, assuming that part of what they would have to trade back is Ben Simmons. I mean, I I like the James Harden, Joel Embiid fit just because Embiid needs to be banging down low, needs someone to space the floor. Ben Simmons is absolutely not that guy. And James Harden being able to shoot it from 40 feet out is that guy. That's the best fit of all for sure. It's not even close. He does not fit at all with the other two teams, especially not the Heat. I think he would completely corrupt everything good about the Heat, including their culture, their defense, just everything. James Harden does not fit with them at all. I hope they don't even make an attempt to make a trade for him. But yeah, I just think he's going to end up with the Rockets because of the reasons I just said. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, I, I I can see why the Rockets, especially with a new GM after Dale Morey left, doesn't want his first thing that he does to be trading the franchise player, James Harden. So it remains to be seen. I, I hope that they do trade him just because I think that it will add more intrigue to the NBA this year because whoever gets him presumably will be a contender and the Rockets, as is, will not be. I feel you. Yeah, we're going to have a full NBA preview next week, so get ready for that. We're going to try to have a lot of fun with that, dive real deep into all the teams and all the you know, conferences, playoff seeds, whatever, whatever else is going on, awards. I'm getting to the end of my red velvet cake stout and I'm starting to slur your speech a little bit. I'm having a lot of trouble. (laughs) So I think it's about time to wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great week. Have a great week. Talk to y'all soon.